So over these past weeks, we've talked about how all godly vision must be rooted in Scripture. And all of these teachings are online. So I, at the beginning of each message each week, I try to take a couple of moments just to frame where we were so that if you were not here or this is your first time visiting, you can sort of grasp what we're talking about. But I want you to know that you can listen to the, the subtext of where we're going today online. So check those teachings out. But I'll take just a couple of minutes, as I always do, to get us up to speed as far as where we've been. And one of the key things that we have identified is that godly vision, any single person that is attempting to tell you how you should conduct your life in the name of Jesus Christ needs to be able to support that claim by scripture. That's the foundation. And the same is true in the way you both pray and act on godly vision. Both must be sifted through the truth of the Bible. In this way, what happens is that our our vision truly becomes a rudder of sorts. It helps us to identify what life, mission, and ministry opportunities we can pursue, which will get us to the place where God is leading us, while also giving us a platform to figure out what we shouldn't be doing, which might distract us from God's leading. And it's, it's really important that we have uh, the capacity to do this because life is often packed with a multitude of options and we want to do our best to be walking the pathway that God has set before us. And so it would make a ton of sense that knowing his scriptural truth, to fa- that, that's sort of the foundation of everything, having good community with other people that can speak into our lives, these things are what help us to sort out how we can take our next steps, even if they are steps of faith. The other thing we pointed out was that a clear vision doesn't always mean immediate action. We see this particularly with Nehemiah. Sometimes we actually know what it is that God desires for our lives, but we don't actually have the capacity to bring that about in three and a half hours, which is sort of how the American's mind and heart is wired. We're, we're sort of like a, a perpetual movie theater. You know, we, we hope that we're the type of people that that can sort of get an idea, get a thought, and then the next thing you know, we bring that thought to fruition in two hours, just like it happens in a movie. You know, there's a plot, a problem, and a solution all within two hours with cold soda and a a box of popcorn. That's not how this works. A lot of times in our situations, what we have to remember is that God is working through our situations. And that is what we learned last week as we studied Nehemiah's actions, after he clearly discerned that God was leading him uh, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. His actions highlight a biblical truth about how God uses people and he uses us to bring about his kingdom here on earth. So after receiving these discouraging, the discouraging news about the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah's next steps prove the point that nothing in God's kingdom happens without first praying to God. When we are dealing with situations that are greater than ourselves, we have to be the types of people that recognize we serve a God who is greater than those situations. And so Nehemiah proved this truth because the first thing he did when confronted with a situation much greater than himself was to pray to his God who was much greater than his situation. Critical, critical truth. He is not afraid of what is in front of him, He is confident in who his God is. And he approaches God by praying, he laments, he fasts, he asks for the forgiveness of sins. And what he does is he gives us this beautiful balance of action and prayer. And so if you want to become someone or something great for God in your life, it must be built on the foundation of prayer. This is sort of where we ended up last week. 
And one of the great emphasis points in this book, in Nehemiah, is the importance of God's people being a people who are unified in their prayer. It's why each week I'm asking you to consider uh, making our voice one corporate voice as we leave this place throughout the week and follow God and try to serve Jesus in our natural spheres of influence. If you are a student of the Word, you'll quickly see that the importance of prayer spans the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and it is undoubtedly a part of our, our New Testament faith, integral to it. Last week, we talked a little bit from John 14, 13 through 14. I'll just read it again. It's behind me. And I will do, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And in those words, Jesus tells his disciples that God intends, like it is his actual plan to advance his kingdom on earth. To, to, to spread the goodness and the glory and the grace of the truth of Jesus Christ on this earth through us. The caveat here clearly being, and anytime we mention a verse like this, I want to make sure we know the caveat, is that the things we ask for ultimately glorify the Son and point people to the Father. That's another way that you can discern whether or not our, our prayer life is actually one that honors God or maybe honors our, ourselves. What we're trying to do is, is approach God fervently with the things that actually help bring glory to the name of Jesus, help the name of Jesus be known. And so the reason Jesus tells us to pray boldly like this and make no bones about it, I believe us moving into a space is going to require a very bold prayer initiative on our part. It's because the reason why we have verses like this in the scripture is because our faith is much more than just a mechanical organization. Uh, you know, we have bills and utilities and insurances and things we have to pay. On paper, we sort of look like a business. But the truth is, we're not a business. We're a living entity. Our church is a vibrant group of men and women, a living entity that loves and follows Jesus. And because of this, everything we say and do here is built on a genuine relationship with Jesus. So any kingdom work we do, becoming more like Jesus building a wall in Jerusalem, or making disciples in the modern church are truly God's redemptive works, meant to reveal the goodness and grace of God to the uh, world that we live in. That was not for effect. It was a true cough. I'm sorry. <clears throat> it might happen again before the morning is over. And that's why it's so important for God's people, no matter where they are, who are trying to become something for God or to accomplish something great for God, to actually be the types of people that pray and bring these things to God. That's my Marco Rubio moment right there. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Those of you who keep up with politics know exactly what I'm talking about. So to make sure God is, is a part of the process by praying to him about them, because you can't truly do the things of God without God. That's exactly where we are today. And that's why today what we're going to do is look at what Nehemiah did after he brought these things to God. And what we learn, our next truth is that Nehemiah prayed intently about his situation, but eventually he was compelled to do something about it. The reason <clears throat> we're talking about prayer and action is because prayer always leads to action. Uh, and a lot of times, some of that action comes through us. And I'll reread to you Nehemiah 1, 111. It's sort of the foundation of everything we're looking at today. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. <clears throat> what we see here is that Nehemiah's prayer points, they shift. They go from asking God to, to do something in a situation to the beginning of a sense of discernment about what he is supposed to do in the situation. He asks here now for God to grant him favor in the presence of this man who is the king of Persia. 
And so after he prays fervently to God, Nehemiah is compelled by God in his spirit to act on his behalf. That's what happens. He, he now is communicating with God closely enough to where he's starting to sense the direction of God in his life. Praying and acting is another one of those godly marks we see in the great servants of God, both in the Bible. If you know somebody, a man or a woman who's followed Jesus well for their days, you are a man or woman who's followed Jesus well for your days. You know that these two things go in hand. The great servants of God don't just identify problems. They don't just have concerns, and they certainly just don't complain about them. That, that is the spirit of our age today, whether you are aware of it or not, and I'm sure many of you are because you are an intelligent lot of folk. We are living in what is known as a postmodern era, where the hip thing to do is deconstruct things. And what I simply mean by this is that the majority of what we hear, podcasts and television and news reports, it's highlighting and critiquing problems, breaking down every system we have in the world. But you seldom hear people get on the other end of that and try to offer solutions. And I'm telling you, identifying problems, that's a dime, they're worth a dime a dozen, really. <clears throat> but the people that actually move beyond the identification of problems and begin to make change in them, those are, that's a more rare breed of person. And that is the type of person God likes to use. So they seriously pray about the things they see. And these concerns, whatever they are, whether they're your own life, your family, and the life of your friends, in our church, eventually at some point God begins to compel them to do something about it. They see a present reality, but will not settle for it because they love God too much to do so. So let me give you an example of this. It's a true story. It's not my story, but I read it in a blog that a pastor had written uh, a couple of years ago. It was a pastor who was uh, involved with a group of people called InterVarsity. It's an on-campus ministry, which we have actually supported here in the past. It's one of a handful of college ministries that we have gotten behind, and they do some really great work on campus. And this pastor was writing this blog as a pastor, but he's, this, the story he told was, was something that happened before he was a pastor. And so he was leading a small group with a friend who was a part of InterVarsity. These are essentially on-campus college missionaries. And this guy apparently was working on a, a shoestring budget that their campus ministry had, and they needed a computer badly, but they could not afford it. And so at the end of their time together, the, this InterVarsity uh, student asked his group, sort of like a community group, for God to to provide a computer. And the guy writing this article was the leader of the group. And so he said, we did that. We were praying for all kinds of things that night. And he said, when I got to the prayer request about the computer, I started praying and I said, you know, God, we know so-and-so needs a, <clears throat> a computer to, to do their work on campus. And he said, he started having like an internal dialogue in his head about this. He said that he completed the prayer and they closed the evening out, but it was sort of like in the middle of the prayer, the Holy Spirit grabbed his mind and his tongue and said, why are, why are you praying this of me right now when you own a computer? You have, you have two of them. And so what he said was, is mid-sentence, basically, when the prayer was over, I went over to this guy and said, hey, we don't need to pray about this anymore because I have a computer you can have. It's, in other words, this is, a, this is a prayer we're praying for that I didn't even realize I could meet this need until God made my mind sort of cognizant of it. And that story is a great example. It's a real-time story, meaning not all of the stories we pray for are going to happen like that. Nehemiah doesn't immediately get to go back to Jerusalem. There's about a four-month time frame between his praying and the acting. But that story and what we see happening in Nehemiah really are great examples of how praying matters. But there is going to come a time in mid-prayer where we recognize that God is likely going to lead us to do something to be a part of the solution. 
And both that story and the book of Nehemiah teach us something very important about how God chooses to work through us. God uses prayers and actions to move the kingdom forward. And that's why it's so important that we actually be a people that are committed to both praying and acting. And last week I gave you sort of a a loose analogy of this, how we are praying for God to put us into a space that is something a little more permanent than this, where we can you know, wear the facility out day after day, week after week. But we also have a committed team of people who are looking into things and following leads just about every day of the week. We believe it is God who is going to move, but we are trying to be responsible with the fact that uh, we have a, a role to play in this. And this is true with any element of the kingdom. When it comes to the disciplines of praying and acting, if you practice them at all, And that's a key statement here, because what I'm about to say is assuming that we are people who are already praying and acting. If we're not, there's a whole step before this that we have to look at. The questions become, why do we not pray and why are we not a people who who are not aware of the fact that God has put us on this earth to to love him and to grow in his grace, but to, to serve others? So my assumption here is that we are a people who are praying and seek to act whenever God makes that clear in our lives. So when it comes to the disciplines of praying and acting, if you practice them at all, you'll likely default to one of two things, the plow or the knee. And I've shared this with you before. This is my go-to illustration on how to begin processing and not imbalance one or the other, prayer and action. The way I always illustrate this reality is by, is by talking about what our our default inclination is to do whenever God speaks to us, whether that's a a very clear verse in the Bible or maybe somebody that we know who loves Jesus. They come to us and they point something out in our lives. There there is a, a season, a moment where when God reveals something to us, we we have to do something. And I like to say that most of us are hardwired either to go to the plow or the knee. And here's what I mean by this. Every one of us has a default way that we respond to these things in life. And if you're at a place of maturity in your faith like Nehemiah, where where you practice these disciplines, one will likely be a dominant for you. I'm not saying that you never do these together, but I'm saying most of us are impulsively going to have one dominant go-to. It is the way we're going to go if we're sort of left unchecked. Most people are hardwired to either pick up a plow and fix a problem or to rely on a, 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 a prayer to solve a problem. And so let's look at both individually. People who rely on the plow are usually often, uh, they're, they're people who have the tendency to act immediately, often in their own strength without first consulting God. Just so you know, this is my, this is my wiring. I, uh, I like to solve problems. And so what happens with me a lot of times is I can see things and sense things and solutions immediately pop up in my head. And it can be very natural to just like, say, hey, this is broken, Uh, I'm going to go fix it, whatever it is. And that's not necessarily a a bad thing, but it actually can become a really bad thing when we begin to impulsively react without the consultation of God. And people that think this way usually do this with really, really good intentions. Like they want to fix something or help something become better. There's nothing wrong with that motive, but they they run the high risk of, of misstepping of getting ahead of God in certain areas of their life. And I brought this up a couple of weeks ago with the way that Nehemiah prays. The most natural thing for this guy to have done in this situation, his people are in Jerusalem, that city has been leveled uh, to, to the ground, okay? The Babylonians destroyed it, and then the Persians took over the Babylonian nation, and 
this is an era in history when nations are toppling nations. And so the impulsive reaction for somebody who wanted to see his people that was subjugated to a new kingdom, the way you fix that is to go there and basically build an army and fight against Persia, which would have been the death of Israel. There was no way that that could have happened. Nehemiah does not impulsively react to anything. In fact, what I would say is he is aware, like there's no plow he can push. It's impossible. So he doesn't immediately try to get on a horse and ride to Jerusalem. He stops and he pauses and he begins to pray and he begins to talk to God. And out of this comes a series of spiritual changes that influence physical action. And so what happens here is the, the impulsive nature of people that go to the plow often leads us to benevolently devalue God's truth and the ever so important input of others to proceed in any circumstance. If Nehemiah goes to the king of Persia and says, I want to make Israel great again, he loses his head. That's what happens. Persia would view that as a threat to the empire. That's an unwise decision. And I think if he had done that, he would have had every noble intention. The intentions were right, but the outcome of that would have been wrong. And so in essence, what happens here is those of us who are hardwired to push the plow immediately, we can tend to act before we think and pray. And that's not a good thing. We want to be the types of people who are rooted in prayer before we do anything before God. And by prayer, I mean we also know God's truth, where all the ducks are sort of lining up in a row. On the other hand, people who are inclined to go to the knee practice a different kind of, of benevolent impulse. And this is interesting. It's, it's foreign to me because I told you I'm a plow guy. But if you are a knee person, what I just said to you is foreign to you. So we have to get in each other's minds here for a moment. The person who's inclined to go to the knee, their motto is take, take everything to God in prayer. There, there are literally like Baptist hymns written about that idea. Take everything to God in prayer. And please do not hear me saying like you should not take everything to God in prayer. There are a multitude of Bible verses that say, Paul literally says we should be praying like for everything at all times and in all seasons. So don't hear me saying that this motto is, is silly or unwise. It's actually a very important biblical precedent. However, the, the challenge is sometimes a person who is wired this way will faithfully bring everything to God in prayer while completely being spiritually blind to the reality that God often uses the person praying about that something or someone to actually meet a need for that something or someone. This is the type of person who often feels their gift is to ask God to do stuff through other people. And they automatically assume that if God is going to answer their prayer, he's going to do it through somebody else in some other part of the world in some other situation because their spiritual receptors are not tuned to the place. For example, like the story I just told you of that guy a couple of minutes ago who, who I mean, I'm sure they could have prayed for months about a computer. But the truth is in that moment, that guy had a bit of a balance and understanding that he had the ability to meet that need. And so the point of a person who prays is that if we're, if we're not careful, what happens is we think that only praying is the only thing we have to do. And don't hear me saying like only praying is a bad thing. It is a super serious thing. But for example, if you're praying, like if you have a neighbor or a friend that's really going through hard times and you are praying for the hope of Jesus to light up that person's heart, it is very, very, very likely that I am not going to be the person that lights up that person's heart. It is very likely that your, your compulsion to care for that person is the beginning of God burdening your heart to be something for that person. And that's why we have to pray and be sensitive to, to action because the, these disciplines have to be balanced. 
When they are imbalanced, they become problematic. When they're separated from each other, they become a real problem. Because if you're praying without being mindful that God wants to use you in a situation you're praying about, it really becomes an incomplete prayer. And if you're acting first without praying, then it is likely going to become an impulsive response. And these two disciplines, they are like bone and marrow. They really should not be separated. And when they are, something Something super problematic happens. This is the whole point that as we wrap up, this is the thing I want you to hear most this morning. One of the greatest mistakes we often make as Christians is to pray for God to do for us what he wants to do through us. I'm not saying that in every situation this is the case because sometimes there are things that God does for us that we could not do on our own. I am not at all Uh, in denial about the truth we spoke about two weeks ago, that Nehemiah brings a situation much greater than himself to a God who is much greater than his situation. Please hear my heart when I say that. There are going to be things in life that we truly need the power and the presence of God to deal with. But I just want us to be the types of people who never disconnect ourselves from God's power or presence. Because what happens is we, we really can be the types of people who miss the blessing of being used by God. There is something very invigorating about caring for another person or, or sensing God's direction in your life. And maybe it's just something simple, like listening to somebody who has something going on in their lives or helping them move or painting their house, wh- whatever it is. These types of things build, like, they build up a joy well in our hearts. And the more you press into following God as you pray and act, the more likely you are to sense his presence, even to be able to fellowship, to partake in what Paul says, like in the sufferings of Jesus. Even those things, suffering, Paul considers a form of fellowship with Jesus. And so we don't ever want to think that we're just conduits for God to do things. We are actually sometimes the thing God intends to do something through. And so if you're wired to pray without action, that can actually become a form of disobedience to God. It's, the one, it's, it's one thing to constantly be praying about loving other people, but frankly, if we are praying about other people, loving other people, and we are not the types of people who are growing in our hearts with this compulsion to love others, then we're beginning to miss the point of, of prayer. Prayer is as much about us as it is about the people we pray for. And you cannot love other people like this in, in a Christ-centered, consistent way if we just think that when, when the Bible speaks about loving others in the name of Jesus, that's meant for everybody else and not me. On the other side of the fence, if you're all about loving people without praying for the power of God as you do, this is a, a, tre- a treacherous discipline. Because what happens here is you begin to draw strength from a very shallow well. In other words, you can only push a plow so far by yourself. The, at some point, the greatest farmers in the world, back in the day when they were hand-pushing plows, had to stop the plow and go to bed. And this is something that we learn is very contrary to the way God works. God is at all times, in all situations, always working. And so we, we likely have to push the plow in some areas of life. But we want to make sure that the authority that is really driving the plow, like the great farmer is God moving the plow. We just get to hold the handles and follow along with him. That's a different type of strength. One is infinite and eternal. The other is essentially you hit the end of your rope. For example, if you're praying to love somebody difficult, you're probably going to push that plow a lot shorter than somebody who you can love more easily. But God calls us to the long haul in almost everything that we do. And so you draw strength from a shallow well when you think that everything that is done in the kingdom is done by your own hands. Because again, you cannot move God's kingdom forward without the king. He builds it through us. That's what we see. Not in our own strength. He uses our strength to build his kingdom. 
but he infuses his strength into us. And this is why it's so important for us to not just hear this truth, but to apply this truth. And so next week, we're going to see the tangible application of these disciplines in Nehemiah's life. The, the, the thing has already happened. He has, he has sensed the problem. Jerusalem is in shambles. It's been burned to the ground with fire. He has prayed to God. He has asked for forgiveness. He has, God has brought him to this place where he recognizes who he is and who he isn't in God. And, and he begins to have a keen awareness now of where to go. And then Nehemiah, in a very terse but super important verse, says, and I'm praying that God would give me favor with the king. In other words, he's got a, he's got a plan now. What he knows is that the key to get to Jerusalem is to have the, the benevolent hand of the king behind him. And I think that is both a metaphorical reality in this teaching, a literal one too, like he cannot rebuild Jerusalem without Persia, but we should learn the fact that we cannot build, we cannot build God's kingdom without our God. And so next week, we're going to begin to look at actually the, the, the reality of what that prayer led to. Nehemiah prays for a solution to the problem. And what he does in chapter 2 begins to show us that this, these prayers are starting to lead to concrete action. And this is one of the marks of the people whom God uses. They pray and are sensitive and willing to act when God leads them to that point. And so here's how I'd like to challenge you to do this today. Some of you in this room are great prayers. Uh, in the Baptist world, which I, I, was, I studied at a Baptist seminary in New Orleans, it was interesting hearing a lot of the old timers talk about people being prayer warriors. And the idea was that this was a person who like, like when they said, hey, I'll pray for you, they really meant that. That is a gift. I mean, it really is. And if this is you, I, I want you to know how important it is that you are a person who takes prayer seriously. And I especially want you to consider joining the prayer team we talked about earlier this morning. If, if you are interested, if you didn't turn something in last week or this is the first time you're hearing it, if you're interested in, in praying about the future of our church, praying for the specific needs of our community and our world, please write your name in that card and write the word prayer and slip it into one of these towers on the way out as you exit. And the main responsibility here would be to pray for our church's mission, to pray for each other, to pray for our world, to pray for the people of our city. It would be a commitment to pray for God's disciple-making causes to continue to move through our, our lives and our church and into the areas of the world where God's, God sees fit to make us most effective. And on the action side of the fence, if you're a person who's like all about the plow, you're like, forget the prayer, what do I do? I want to ask you to think about this in a different way. It, it, we want people to want to learn how to make disciples. So maybe you are a person who really already is praying a lot. The question for you then becomes, are you actively engaged as we ask for God to make new disciples in the world? Are you engaged in the work of making disciples? Because it doesn't matter how young or old or wise or unwise you think you are. It doesn't matter what season of life you are in. Jesus wants to make a disciple out of you. And he wants you to make a disciple out of somebody else. And so if you are a person who is a prayer warrior, but has not yet acted, then let us know on those cards and let us help you figure out how to bring or uh, to blend a balance between the two. Because if we really want to see God perpetuate a disciple-making movement in our midst, uh, hear me when I say this, a, a building or some form of permanent space, that can help us but it can also hurt us. And so the last thing I want our church to do is think like, once we get into a space, all of our problems will go away. We're already in a space, a pretty decent one by all accounts. I don't want our hope to be in, in, 
in some accoutrement that supports ministry. I want our hope to be in Jesus who has given us this ministry because we cannot make disciples without these two disciplines being in place. We have to be the types of people who know what to pray for and then act when God leads. So as we close today, ask God if someone is investing in your life right now and if you are committed to investing in somebody's life right now. If you're not, be at peace with that. I don't say this to you to make you feel you know, like an outsider or a judge. Just know that we all have had seasons in our life like this. But there is a way for you to be engaged in a disciple-making relationship. Help us, uh, let us help you figure that out. And when it comes to praying for the things of God, ask yourselves, first and foremost, are you a person who prays? Maybe you're saying, like, I've heard that word a million times in the Christian faith, and I don't even know really what it means to pray. That's okay. If, if you have questions about prayer or want to join our prayer team, please let us know in those cards. Grab me afterwards. Grab somebody. There are a slew of people here that would love to make that investment in you. As we move to this time of response and prepare to leave and go back into our world today, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you? And what is it that you will do about it when it comes to praying to the king and acting on behalf of our king? Amen. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you for... We thank you for the fact that Nehemiah is somebody who is acutely blessed by you, without doubt, but he is also a person who is a person. There's nothing exceptional or extraordinary about this man except for the fact that he has fully recognized his need for you in a situation before him. And I pray, Lord, that that would be the battle cry of our hearts, that the the key to the Christian life is not picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but it's recognizing that we serve a God who has lifted us up. And especially as we think about the cross, God, you lifted yourself up so that we did not have to do it. So we pray, Lord, that no matter where we are today, whether we have come into this place strong and vibrant for you, we want to be thankful for that and we want to spread that passion onto others. If we've come into this place limping and hurting and weak and tired, then know this is also a place of refuge for you. Let the grace of Jesus support both of these attitudes wherever you find yourself. And I pray, pray explicitly now as we move into this time of response that you would direct the steps of our hearts. Help us to clearly see, sense, and discern where you want us to invest the moments we have in our life. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.